I'm the pastor of ministries here. Welcome to the 11 o'clock service. Good to see you guys this morning. Anybody glad to be here? Y'all sound like the, seven, the nine o'clock group. Come on, y'all glad to be here? All right, well, good deal. I want to start us out this morning. I want us to read some scripture really quick. We're going to come back to it, but we're going to start out Hebrews chapter 4. John read it just a moment ago. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, I thank you for the worship that has already been lifted. Lord, I thank you for these guys that have led us this morning. God, I thank you. I know their hearts and I thank you for them. God, as we dig into your word this morning, God, would you make it real in our lives today? God, we came in one way. We ask that you change us today, that we leave out a different way. Bethany prayed the same earlier. God, I pray that you will do something in our lives today. God, use my mouth to speak your words. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I got to have the opportunity, this is my second opportunity to preach at Connection Church. A few uh, weeks ago, Brandon had asked me to preach for the, I think it was the New Year's Eve service. And so some of you were traveling, you missed that day, but I, I want to clear out some of the air about that day. I told a story that day, that morning, about my bike being stolen. Some of you remember my bike, about the bike being stolen. So I told the story. I have a, a really nice road bike that I do. I, I do cycling and such. And I had this really nice road bike, and I told about it being stolen by this guy. It was a homeless guy. They found it in Savannah and went through the whole story, and I ended up giving the guy the bike. And everybody was amazed and awed at my generosity and love and unconditional love. And then I told everybody, okay, that story wasn't real. And they were, everybody was upset and just... So it was, I think it was frustrating to some people that it was, they, they took the line, hook, line, and sinker. But it was just an illustration. And the reason I wanted to clear that up, because I've had a lot of you come up to me since then, several weeks after saying, hey, did you get your bike back? Or have you gotten another bike? It was a story. It was an illustration. So it was not stolen. And I'm going to try to stay away from any fabrications this morning, Okay. So a couple of weeks ago, Brandon asked me to preach this Sunday, and he said, Paul, I need you to preach, and I want you to preach on the Bible. I said, okay, I can do that. What do you want me to preach about? He said, I want you to preach on the Bible. I said, okay, Brandon, I get it, but what topic, what do you, what do you want me to cover in the Bible? What do you want me to preach about? He said, no, I, I want you to preach on the Bible. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to preach on the Bible. We're going to hit all 66 books of the Bible, five minutes each. We'll get out by 2 o'clock. Um, no, we're not. That was a fabrication. I started off, didn't I? 
<laughs> so I want us to read this passage again. He had it up on the screen earlier. We're going to bring it back up. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So I want you guys to participate with, with me. I can't even say it right. That's why I need your help. I need you guys to participate with me. I want you to say these words. If you'll bring that back up on, on the screen. I want you to say the first part of that passage. You got it? All right, y'all read it with me. For the word of God is alive and active. Again, y'all sound like the nine o'clock group. Let's do it better than that, okay? So let's do, for the word of God is alive and and active absolutely guys I did some research as a pastor we're always supposed to study meanings of words and look up the translation the Greek and Hebrew and see what it, what it means back then and so forth so I looked up the word alive in my theological systematic theological dictionary of southern terms and, and guess what this word alive means? It means the same in my home state of Mississippi as it means here in Georgia. The word alive means ain't dead. <laughs> Did you shoot that deer? Nope, he ain't dead. So the word of God, it ain't dead. It's alive. Guys, this Bible, the Bible that you have, it's the most amazing book in all of history. Think about it. God wrote a book. The creator of this universe, the creator of the sun, moon, and stars, the creator of each human being wrote a book. This reality blows me away every time I think about it, that the creator of the universe wrote a book for us, and it's astonishing. Second Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, Second Timothy 3, 16 through 17, he says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. So that the servant of God, you, me, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul was telling Timothy, Timothy, this is God's breath. He has breathed the words of life into this book. Think about it. The words in this book come directly from God. This is his history. This is his instructions for us. This is his plans for us, for you, his people. And yet, we treat it not that it's alive, but it's dead today. The Bible is by far the most best-selling book in all of history. There's over one million copies sold every year. It's been translated in more languages than any other book. The scriptures have proven over and over their historical accuracy and remain consistent every time a new archaeological discovery has been made. Many who have worked to bring the Bible to new people groups all around the world 
have done so at a great personal cost. Many times their lives. The scriptures have shaped and influenced men and women in every part of history. The Bible has rescued. Anybody been rescued? Yeah? The Bible has rescued. It's, been, it's recreated. Any recreations in here? Amen. It's rescued, recreated, and mobilized billions of us in countless ways. And yet, we still spend very little time reading it. Matter of fact, today, including myself, know by heart more song lyrics and quotes from movies than Bible verses. I think it's, it's probably an indictment against us all. So here's what we know about the Bible today. If you're taking notes, first, the Bible is God's Word. How this book has gotten to us today is amazing. I want you to think about this. The Bible was written over 1,500 years ago. God's used over 40 writers to write the 66 individual books found within. Most of whom, they, they didn't even know each other. They came from varying, various backgrounds. Some were shepherds. Some were farmers. There was a tax collector. Fishermen. There was a physician, and even kings. They wrote from the deserts, the mountaintops, prisons, and even the royal courts. Three different languages were used to write the Bible. Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And despite all of these things, the Bible remains one unified book from beginning to end without contradiction. It's amazing. God used ordinary men. He used people just like us. Not prolific writers, not great Shakespearean type people. He used ordinary, ordinary people just like you and I to write down his actual words in Scripture. So first we know that the Bible is the Word of God. Next we know that the Bible is eternal. The Bible is eternal. Isaiah 40, chapter 40, verse 8, says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. And then in Mark 13, 31, Jesus himself said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Because of its importance and its claim to be the very word of God, the Bible has suffered more vicious attacks and attempts to destroy it than any other book in history. From the Roman emperors to the communist dictators and even to modern-day agnostics and atheists, the Bible has withstood and outlasted all of its attackers. And still, it's the most published book in the world. We've even seen this recently when the television shows such as The View try to discredit our Bible-believing vice president claiming that he was insane if he actually heard from God. I want to be crazy like that. What about you? Amen. 
So can I tell you something? It's going to be a day when the sun doesn't shine anymore. There's going to be a day, a night when the stars refuse to shine, but the word of God will last till eternity. The Bible is eternal. We also know that the Bible is relevant. It's applicable for us today. Even though it has been nearly 2,000 years since these pages were written, it's still applicable to our lives today. As we've read earlier, the Bible teaches us, it corrects us, and it trains us to be the, God, the people God has called us to be. As Christians, the Bible gives us everything that we need to know about a loving God, about loving others. These are God's greatest commands. Through reading the Bible, we learn what God has done through Jesus Christ and how he reconciles himself to mankind. But we can't just look at this book like many of us have called it, as a road book to life or a road map to life. We can't look at it just like many of the self-help books because there's some great self-help books today in the bookstores. We must understand that the Bible is not about us. I like things to be about me. I don't know about you guys. I, I like to follow the, what the world and the culture says about look out for number one. I like to look out for myself. I'm a selfish person. I think we all are, right? Burger King says to have it what way? Your way, I like to have it my way. I like to wear the crown when I'm sitting there in Burger King because I'm the king, right? No, we're all like that. But the Bible is not about us. We can't just read stories such as David and Goliath and place ourselves as David. And many times this is what we do. We put ourselves in the place of David and make Goliath whatever obstacle we're facing in life, whether it's sickness, debt, Marriage issues, when life's falling around us and falling apart, we try to do this sometimes. And we, so we say, hey, I'm David and Goliath, this is Goliath, and I need to go get my five stones. And through my strength and the power of God, I, I'm going to take out this giant in my life. But there's a problem with that. There's a problem with me making myself David because what happens when I go pick up my stone what happens when I go pick up all five stones and I throw that first stone and it misses and I reach in my bag and I pull out the second one and I pull out the third and the fourth and the fifth and all the stones miss the target when I look at the Bible like this when I put myself in that place and I try to use all my might and all my power to do something and none of them slay the giant. There's guilt that comes upon me now. There's desperation. There's, there's this, what, if, what am I going to do? Defeat and frustration that piles up, and I start to lose confidence in God when that happens. I begin to ask, where was God in all of this? Where was he in my storm? Guys, the story of David and Goliath, it is a real story. It's an authentic story. 
It really happened. And what Paul speaks of later in the New Testament in Colossians about a, this is what he talks about, it's a shadow of things to come in Christ. The story is not about us. We're not the boy David. If anything, we play the character of the Israelite army over to the side, shaking in their boots, right? Rather, this story is about God communicating to us and to the nation of Israel that a Savior was going to come and slay the giant of sin and death once and for all. When we see this and recognize that the story is not about us, then our hearts are free to trust and worship God, the universe, and he sent his son, Jesus, for us. So it's not on us to overcome the giant. We have a champion who has already fought the battle for us. So no, the Bible is not about us, but it certainly is relevant to us in our lives today in that it teaches so much about God and what he desires for us and that we become more like Christ. So Paul, you asked me, how do I make the Bible alive to me in my life today? How do I make it exciting to me? I was like John earlier. He spoke about how sometimes it was difficult. Some of us have been in places in our life where maybe it's dry. Maybe we've tried to read the Bible and it's it's just not coming alive to us. So, Paul, how do I make that come alive to me today? My answer is relationships take work. Would you agree? Relationships take work. Growing in the Bible isn't easy for anyone. With all the distractions in our lives today, with all the things that consume our time, it's it's amazing that we have time to do anything. But here's the real deal. Heard a pastor once say this. He says, don't tell me that you don't have time to spend in the Word of God. Tell me it's not a priority. Don't tell me that you don't have time for God. Tell me it's not a priority. Paul again tells Timothy in chapter 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. He says, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Guys, spending time in the Word must be a priority. It's going to take discipline. How many of you have been watching the Olympics in the last few weeks? Nobody watched Olympics. Yeah, we watch, some of you watch the Olympics, right? We love, my wife and I love watching the Olympics. I love watching the Summer Olympics, but I I don't know if it's I love colder weather or what, but the Winter Olympics, other than figure skating, is just exciting for me. (laughs) Even curling. I don't know about, 
my, my daughter's boyfriend, every time Curling came on there back in Mississippi College there, his dorm room would fill up with college kids and they would just go nuts over Curling. They even have Curling, USA Curling t-shirts. Isn't that crazy? So Curling was exciting this year. They won the gold, by the way. But love the Winter Olympics and love watching the stories, love the competition, seeing these athletes that have dedicated hours and hours of time to physical training to become the best they can be. But one of the things I've loved watching when we watch the Olympics is these backstories. I don't know what you call them, but it's the interviews that they do of the athletes. Maybe they're fixing a race and NBC takes a break and they show an interview with this with this competitor. And I was watching a story the other day, and I don't remember the girl's name, but she was a downhill racer from the U.S. And she and her mom were sitting there interviewing. Uh, and they were telling her about her story. And the mom began explaining. She said, the week, two weeks after she walked, two weeks, get this, two weeks after this child started walking, they put her in skis and she started skiing. Is that not incredible? Two weeks after the child was walking, the child was skiing downhill on skis. I can't even do that very well now. And it's, this child was doing this. And so from that time on, this child started preparing. She started disciplining her routine. She started making sure she was getting up. Mom helped her and dad helped her and they were doing all these things. But in a regiment type style, she started doing things that started making her better for her sport. Years of practice, years of dedication. She'd get out on the snow and start going down the slope. She would watch videos of herself trying to get better at the angles of making it around the flags. It was amazing. And it wasn't just her story. If you watched everybody's stories, they all had these stories. These incredible athletes that God has given this incredible talent to. There was discipline that they put into their lives of making it a priority to get better at what they wanted to do. So I am certainly not an Olympic athlete. I am a, a triathlete that will never make it to the Olympics. But I, I do triathlon. That triathlon, I talked about that a few months ago when I was up here. Triathlon is, is swimming, biking, and running. And I, do, I like to do all three because I get bored with just running. So I have to do something else besides that. And I'm not a competitor like the Olympics are. You know, the Olympians, they're competing against some other person. I'm a finisher. I like to call what I'm a finisher. Dwight, you were finishers, right? Dwight's with me. He, he rides and swims and does all that stuff with me. And we're crazy. I know you guys are thinking nuts. But uh, so we, we do this and we, do, we spend time with each other and have fun and train and do all those things. We, we're fairly disciplined to go and do and so forth. But one of the things that happens to me every year Around, I don't know, probably around November, I can't run and swim and bike as much because it gets cold outside. And so you have to come in, and it's just hard to be on a treadmill. I call it a treadmill. It's not fun to run. You're not getting out there and, and seeing other people and God's creation. You're just sitting there watching the television screen and, and running. So it's the treadmill. And so I don't do, I'm not disciplined to stay focused on that. Instead of running five miles, I may run two, or I may not even get up and go anyway. And so I'm not very disciplined in the winter. And so what typically happens, I normally put on about 10 to 15 pounds extra of weight. And some of you, when I do that in the winter too, um, 
I like to eat at Christmas, and so all those things, Thanksgiving, it just adds on. And so I get, add these 10 to 15 pounds on. I get a beard. That way it hides some of the chubbiness in my cheeks and all that. But, uh, and, and by the way, one of the things I like to do triathlons because I can eat what I want to. I like bluebell ice cream. Anybody, y'all like bluebell ice cream, right? If you've been around me long enough, you know I like it. But, so bluebell ice, I had to throw that in there. But anyway, so get through winter, and I had to start back in the spring. And I start training and start doing some things, trying to get back and back into shape and lose those, lose those pounds and so forth. And it always happens this way. I'll come to church, and there's people that may have not have seen me in a couple of weeks, and I'll be shaking hands out in the foyer. And some, one or two people will come up and say, Golly, Paul, you've lost some weight. Your, your face has gotten thinner. There's something. You, you haven't been eating right or something. The old ladies are wanting to feed you. Come on, I'll feed you some for dinner. <clears throat> but, but anyway, so when I start training, I start losing that weight and I get back down to where I, I want to be for the summer and racing and so forth. But that verse that I just read that Timothy spoke, or Paul spoke to Timothy, it always says convicting to me. It says for bodily training, so for physical training is good. It says, but godliness is much more. And so when somebody notices these things about me, it's almost like Paul, the apostle Paul is begging, he's asking me, he says, Paul, what about godliness? Is anybody noticing your day-to-day changes because of your time in the Word and spending time with Christ? So they notice that I've been on the bike a lot more and they've been noticing that I've run, they've lost some weight, and so physically my body's changing but did anybody notice that God's doing something? Am I also making it a discipline in my life to get to know Christ more? Guys, if to have this discipline, we first have to have desire. We must long for a closeness with God. My fear is that we're afraid of what he might say if we get close. If we spend time in the word and in prayer, my fear is that we might be afraid of what he might say. He might call us to do something. Paul, if I spend time in the Bible, I might have to give up something. You might. But Paul, if I spend time asking in the Bible and asking God to show me things, he might, he might require much of me. He may. Listen to what the psalmist says in chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing my soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, he says, than honey from the honeycomb. Man, I want to have that kind of desire. So here's what we're going to do today. 
Today, as John introduced earlier, is the first day of our 412 reading plan. He shared with you that this is a plan that we're introducing at all of our campuses. We are making it available in several ways. If you came in, hopefully you picked up one of these by one of our, our door holders as you came in. This is the list of scriptures for us as we read each day. Also, if you have the app, you can pull it up on your app. Funny thing happened to me the other day. I was testing it on the app, and so I was in my truck, and I have uh, Bluetooth on my phone, and it goes to my truck. And so you can actually go on the app, and instead of reading it, and you can read it on the app, but you can also press the little speaker icon on your phone, and it will start reading that passage to you. And so I had used it that morning, and I'd let it read some to me, and I was just making sure it was working okay. But later in the day, I had Spotify on, and I was listening. I don't remember who it was, Chris Stapleton, one of my one of the, uh, country folks. And he started singing, and 10 seconds into the song, it stopped, and it started reading Scripture again. I thought, okay, that was weird. So I pressed play again. He started singing again. 10 seconds into it, it started reading Scripture again. So I figured it was the Lord speaking to me. <laughs> to uh, just let it play, so, and we did. Sometimes you just got to shut up and let God do something, right? So here's what we're going to do. We're starting on this today. Day one is Matthew chapter one. So we are not defeated on the first day and feel like, gosh, I haven't gotten to it or haven't had time. We're going to do it today right here. Is that okay? We're going to read the passage our first day. So we're going to be at the Statesboro campus, at least, we're going to be 100% everybody on board in the 412 reading plan. That work for you guys? All right, another reason we're doing this is for today is because Matthew 1 has a lot of difficult names. And I don't want you to get started on your first day and get frustrated in a bunch of genealogy and names and so forth and stop. So you guys get to laugh at me and make fun of me trying to say these names. That work? All right, before we start reading, I want you to do this as well because I want you to do this every day as you're doing this. This is what I do, and I want you to, 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 to try to practice this as well. Before you read your passage each morning or whenever you're spending time to do it, I want you to spend some time in prayer. Asking God, God, I'm fixing to read your word. I'm fixing to see what you've got for me today. Lord, will you point out things in the passage today and show me what you have for me today? I can promise you, if you will do that, and you're looking for what God has for you, he's going to show you specific things that day for you, okay? So I want you to do that today. I've already done that, and I'm going to talk about it in just a second, but I want you to do that as I begin to read. I want you to ask God, point out things to me that you want for me today, okay? All right, y'all got to bear with me as we get through these names, but we're going to we're going to truck on through them, okay? So let's begin reading. You can read along with me on the screen or in your Bible. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. It says, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amandab, Amandab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. 
Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, and Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shethel. Shethel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abuhud. Abuhud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Eliud. Eliud, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Matan. Matan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. There were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile of Babylon. And 14 from the exile to the Messiah. We made it through the names. Maybe I spoke them correctly. I don't know. But since I'm on stage with the microphone, it was Craig, right? All right, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And asked, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report him to me so that I may too worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So we've all got a great start, don't we? We're all on board and we've all completed our first day. So did God show you something? As I was prepping for and studying for the sermon prep the other day, as I was reading this passage, I read it out loud so I could practice those names. I asked God the same thing I just told you to do is I prayed to him, God, would you show me things in this scripture as I read it today? And not only for me, but for our congregation as well. It's the same thing that I'd asked you to do earlier was to, to listen for God. Let him speak to you and show those things. And my hesitancy when I said that, when I prayed that, was, okay, this is a bunch of names. It's going to be hard to come up with something in this. But God's faithful, and he's going to show you. And he showed me. And here's what he did. He showed me four names. It was odd that he showed me names, right? He showed me four names, and specifically, he showed me four female names. As you will notice, if you look back, in addition to the mother of Jesus... There were four more listed. There was Tamar, there was Rahab, Ruth, and Uriah's wife, who we know as as Bathsheba. You see, all all of these women, these four women, as well as most of the men that were listed in this list of names in the genealogy of Jesus, had questionable things in their life. Tamar and Rahab, the first two women, were prostitutes. Ruth was an immigrant from a foreign land. And Bathsheba was known to have committed adultery with King David. What a great picture of God's grace. The list, not just the four, not just the four women that God showed me, but the list, the complete list. It's all a list of sinners. And just like God using them to be part of the lineage of Christ, he used a list of sinners, a list of fishermen, tax collectors, those kind of people to write his word to bring us what we have today. So I said, God, how do I, what is that for me? He says, Paul, you're just like them. Church, we're just like these. We're just like the people not only that wrote the Bible, we're just like the ones in the lineage of Jesus Christ. He used them to advance his kingdom, his purpose, his plan. He desires to use me, desires to use you in the same way. We're not just 
an other. We're, just not, we're not just somebody. We're somebody that God has chosen to advance his kingdom, and he wants to use you. It's good stuff, right? It's good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing. God, I thank you for what you have done in this church. God, I thank you for the ones that you've brought here this morning. Lord, I know that Sunday morning's a struggle. Here's mamas grinning right now. They know what kind of struggle it was with hair this morning. That's a struggle Sunday morning so many times, but you've brought us here together to this place to worship to worship you and to find out more about you. So God, as I prayed earlier, as Bethany even prayed, Lord, we don't want to go out of this place the same as we walked in. We want to be different. God, would you change us? Would you have changed us? God, I don't want to open the word of God. I don't want to work. I don't want to read my 412 plan this week, start and open my Bible and then close it and remain the same. Would you change us every time we read your word? God, would you do heart surgery on us every time we pick it up and open it? God, would you put a desire in our hearts for you? Would you put a desire, a burning desire to know you more? Would you put a desire for me to read your word every day, to soak it up? God, I want to be known as mentally insane because I hear from you. I want the world to look at us and think we're crazy because you speak to us. Some of you today as we continue in prayer some of you have come today and you're not sure why you're here maybe a friend brought you maybe you've been coming for a while and you're going yeah Paul I'd like to get in the Bible but uh, I don't even know who Jesus is I don't even know much about Jesus there's not ever been a relationship that you're talking about earlier Maybe God brought you here today to, to help you get jumped into a reading plan, but maybe he brought you here today because today is the day you're supposed to surrender your life to him. If you read these words and we've read these words, the Bible tells us that those who will believe and confess upon his name will be saved. God desires for you to be saved. You see, our sin in our life is separate us from Him. Separate us from eternity for Him. But the Bible says that He desires for all the world to come to know Him. So if today, if that's you, if that's you that is saying, I'm ready, I'm, I'm not had a relationship with Him, but I'm ready to have a relationship with Him. I don't know why I got here today, but I'm here. There's enough people in this room today. There's, there's some of you today that are needing that relationship with him. So if that's you, if you're ready, we have prayer team 
people here that want to spend some time. They want to tell you about Jesus. They want to pray with you. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? Nobody's looking around. Only people are looking around right now is maybe our prayer team. So if there's someone here today that today's the day that you're ready to surrender to Christ, would you raise your hand? Got one in the back? Prayer team member? Anybody else? Guys, you know what happens not just because someone raised their hand, because someone chose to surrender their life today. Won't you understand what's happening right now in heaven as this person is changing their life, surrendering to Christ? There is a party going on in heaven. God, we thank you for that. God, I thank you for what you're doing. God, I thank you for life change in this man. Lord, I thank you that you are doing a work in people's heart right now, that you're putting a desire in us, that you're putting a desire in me to get closer to you, to know you better. God, I don't want this, this, check, this to be a checklist of things that we've got to do. I want it to be a list of direction showing us which way to go, not a checklist of something that I've got to do that will make you love me anymore. You love me more than I could ever deserve. God, go before us. Go before these people today. God, as they go about their business, whether they're a mechanic, a school teacher, an accountant, maybe they're a student in college or in, in high school. God, I pray that you'll be with our people, with these people today. Help us to be missionaries for you in what we're doing. God, we love you. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Guys, go be a light in this community this week, okay? You're dismissed.